Bruce Goodrich was being initiated into the cadet corps at Texas A&M University. And in the early morning hours of August the 30th, 1984, Bruce was forced to run until he dropped, but he never got up. Bruce Goodrich died before he attended his first class at Texas A&M. A short time after the tragedy, Bruce's father wrote this letter to the administration, faculty, student body, and the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M. I would like to take this opportunity to express the appreciation of my family for the great outpouring of concern and sympathy from Texas A&M University and the college community over the loss of our son, Bruce. We were deeply touched by the tribute paid to him in the battalion. We were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did not go unnoticed during his brief time on campus. Then Mr. Goodrich went on, I hope it will be some comfort to know that we harbor no ill will in the matter. We know our God makes no mistakes. Bruce had an appointment with his Lord and is now secure in his celestial home. When the question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one answer will be so that many will consider where they will spend eternity. Bruce's father experienced a terrible blow in his life, and he had a choice as to how he would handle the death, the devastating death of his son. He could have done like the world would want us to. He could have responded in bitterness and anger toward the school and toward the upperclassmen who had put him through what he went through that night. He could have been angry with the God in whom he obviously believed, but instead he chose to handle the matter as he knew his Lord would have him handle it. Mr. Goodrich gives us a sterling example of what Paul exhorts us to in Romans 12, 2, when he tells us, and do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How about you? If you had been in Mr. Goodrich's spot, would you have responded like him or would your reaction have been different? When you're experiencing the pains, frustrations, injustices, and fears of this life, have you come to the place where you could handle them with the obvious faith exhibited by Mr. Goodrich? Or do you still have some growing to do? A lot of us, let's admit it, still have some growing to do. Mr. Goodrich had been transformed. He didn't react the way the world would have him act. 
And as I say, this is a tremendous example for each one of us. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the 26th verse. We just heard it read a moment ago, but that's where we're going to start start today because we're talking about anger. We're in this series that we're calling whom the sun sets free. And the whole sentence goes, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And let's face it. Many of us are imprisoned by shackles of anger. We wind up having anger control us. And yet the injunction from the Lord we find there uh, from Paul in Ephesians 4.26. And incidentally, Paul was in prison when he wrote this particular verse. Uh, He's in prison And he had a reason to be angry if he wanted to be. He could have chosen that. Here he is starting churches, trying to do the right thing. And they throw him in prison. They lock him up. And he says, in your anger, do not sin. Say that with me now. In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Whenever you harbor anger, you give the devil a foothold in your life. I just got the mental pictures. I was looking at this of sometimes if you watch mountain climbers, I've never been able to do that. I've never done it. Maybe some of you have. But one of the things I've noticed is that They're always searching for the next foothold. First, they find a higher handhold, and then they try to find a foothold that's higher so that they can make progress. And whenever they find that foothold where they can step up, they make progress. So whenever you give the devil a foothold by giving in to anger, you're letting him make progress where he ought to be on the retreat. And so this is what we're going to be talking about today. In your anger, do not sin. First, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. And what he's saying is that you can be angry and not sin. Anger is an emotional response to a hurt, to a fear, to a frustration, or to some form of unfairness that we either experience or we see. And so you can be angry and not sin. We see this in Jesus. The man was there with a withered hand on the Sabbath and everybody was looking at him. All the religious leaders were looking at him, basically just daring him to help this poor man. Whenever he had the wherewithal to help him, they were wanting to forbid him from doing it. And it made him angry that they cared so little for a fellow human being. And so he was angry, but he didn't sin. He did something about it. What he did, he healed the man's hand. And so whenever we're angry, we have a choice. 
We can go one way or we can go the other. We're going to have to do, we need to do something with our anger, but it should channel us toward doing better instead of uh, being something that, and then be done with it. Do something about it and be done with it instead of harboring it. So uh, he says you can be angry and not sin. And uh, we all experience things that are going to bring about anger. And so you don't have to be feeling guilty about being angry. But Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't hang on to it and give the devil, devil a foothold. He goes on to say at the end of the, of the scripture, don't let the devil get a foothold. Now that word is topos and it means room. So what Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, the longer that you're angry, the more room you're given the devil to work that anger out for the bad. And that's exactly what happened in the first time anger is mentioned in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? Two brothers, Cain and Abel, they're uh, the boys of Adam and Eve. And uh, in Genesis 4, 6, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? You see, Cain brought his offering to the Lord and it wasn't accepted. And I'm sure it's because he had a bad attitude more than anything else. It also, apparently he knew what kind of offering he was supposed to bring, but he thought that the Lord ought to be happy with what he gave him. And so God's saying, look, if you're doing what's right, won't it be accepted? And then the scripture goes on. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. We talked about this last week. It desires to have you. That's sin. But you must master it. You must master it. Cain failed to master it. In fact, you see, sin mastered him. This anger takes hold of Cain and he winds up murdering his brother. We can't let sin master us. I read an account of a pastor the other day who a gentleman came up to him. He needed to talk to him. He said, I need help with my anger. And what had happened was in a moment, he lost control of his temper and he hit his wife and his child in anger. He wound up losing his marriage, custody of his child, and he wound up going to jail because he let sin master him instead of him mastering his anger. Now, the anger takes hold of Cain. He murders someone. Oh, and this guy said that one moment, that one moment changed my life forever. That one moment I had never done anything like that before, and I haven't done anything like that since. But see, the thief found his opportunity, and he killed a marriage. He destroyed relationships, and he stole from this man. 
And that's what the thief does. But we don't have to go there. Now, you might say, well, I wouldn't murder someone. I wouldn't hit somebody with my fist. But have you ever been so mad and so angry that in your heart you hated them? The Bible says that if you hate someone, you've committed murder. And he says that you're coming close if you're angry without a cause. And there's some people that just like to get angry. For some reason, it's just become a habit with them. And the Lord says, that's not acceptable. You know, uh, somebody said it's unknown who started it. It says, anger is one letter short of danger. And uh, the thing is, anger is an emotion that was given to us by God. It's a gift from God. It's a defense mechanism. It's like the red light on the dashboard of your car uh, or like a siren going off. And it lets you know something isn't right. Something needs to be done. And if you don't do anything, if you just stuff it, you're going to wind up with bad stuff that we'll talk about in a minute. But something needs to be done. If you ignore it, your car, you know, as far as the uh, red light in your car, your engine's going to be destroyed. If you ignore that red light and try to just not pay any attention to it, bad things will happen in your inner being. So how do you handle it? Well, handled wrongly, unresolved anger from the past is like a bed of hidden coals burning deep wounds into your relationship with God and with other people. David says, uh, in connection with him having looked around and just seen the injustice in the world of bad people doing quite well, thank you. That just bothered him. And he said that he, he, he almost slipped. He almost fell when his, he was just angry about this. He said, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Talking about before God. He become just like an animal. Unresolved anger leads to bitterness burning deep within your heart. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Just like a prairie fire can get out of control. It spreads everywhere quickly, destroying your body, damaging your emotions, and devastating your relationships. Anger may produce some of these following physical, emotional, and spiritual symptoms. High blood pressure, heart disease, stomach disorders, intestinal disorders, headaches, blurred vision, insomnia, compulsive eating. Those are the physical symptoms. Now, how many of y'all are feeling those just after I said them? Let's, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Just, uh, that's one of those things, uh, well, we won't go, sometimes you just read and hear about this stuff and all of a sudden, oh man, you know, you, you start thinking about it. But emotional symptoms, anxiety, bitterness, compulsions, depression, fear, insecurity, phobias, and worry. Uh, spiritual symptoms, loss of perspective. You allow your emotions to distort your thinking. Loss of vision. You lose your sense of purpose in life. 
loss of freedom. You become a prisoner of circumstances because you can't see things clearly. Loss of energy. You lose strength to serve God and others. Loss of confidence. You feel insecure in responding to difficulty. Loss of faith. You lack trust that God is working in your life. Loss of sensitivity. You can't hear the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Loss of identity. This is really a wake-up call. You start becoming like the person toward whom you are bitter. In Hebrews, it says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. Hangered wrongly, it can destroy you. And the Lord came to set you free. He wouldn't have had it in his word, be angry and sin not, if it wasn't possible to do it. He doesn't command us to do things that we cannot do. Handled rightly, Anger has fantastic results. And I've discovered this in my own life. If I will honestly face my anger, prayerfully consider it, it helps me to grow spiritually. It says, blessed, who, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And face it, when you start getting angry, you're facing a test. You're facing a trial. And how you handle that is going to determine whether you wind up with the crown of life or not. Handled rightly, this is what can happen. Anger can be used to bring positive change in your life. Anger can give insight into your past hurts. There may be unresolved forgiveness. There may be things that you need to take care of in the past. Anger can bring your true feelings to light. Sometimes we don't want to face our own feelings and we, uh, uh, we wind up trying to stuff them and not even know ourselves anymore. Anger can reveal your inappropriate ways of getting your needs met. Anger can help you to realize your need for the Lord. Anger can uncover your need to set healthy boundaries with other people. Anger appropriately verbalized can increase intimacy and relationships instead of driving a wedge between people. Anger can be the foundation on which forgiveness is built. Anger appropriately displayed can be used by God to convict others of sin. Anger appropriately handled can be a positive Christian witness. Mr. Goodrich gave that positive Christian witness. And it's because he had allowed his belief system, the way that he looks at life, to be transformed by the Lord instead of being conformed to the world. When you're conformed to the world, you're giving into the pressures and influences outside and around you. When you're transformed, you change from the inside out. The Holy Spirit 
transforms us as we yield to his transforming power. So what do you do when you find yourself getting angry? I've gone over these with you before, but you need to hear them again. Uh, First thing you do, I'm going to give them to you a little bit differently than I have before. The first thing you do if you find yourself getting angry, I would say list the fruit of the Spirit. Some people, well, let's see. And do you know the... Just Galatians 5.22, just recite that before you say anything or do anything when you're angry. Just recite in your heart. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That got left off of my notes here, but that's one of them. So anyway, uh, the fruit of the Spirit And then if you'd rather memorize the love aspects or characteristics that you find in 1 Corinthians 13, this is the one that really gets me a lot of times. And put your name in this spot. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. How much anger is caused by arrogance? How much anger is caused by jealousy? How much anger is caused by impatience? Just think about it. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It doesn't insist on having its own way. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love is like. And that is what your transformed actions will be like as you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so you see, if you'll just start reciting that, Whenever you start getting angry, that's going to go a long way. Uh, and, and the thing is, the originally in counseling, what we would tell people who were recovering from uh, uh, being rageaholics even, I used to counsel with people who were addicted to anger. And uh, But the thing is, is that uh, the secular way is just to count to 10. And that's okay, but these other ways help you to grow in your faith. But the whole point is, you see, an incident occurs. Your belief system interprets what has happened. And if you're arrogant, if you're prideful, you're going to be offended, affronted, and things like that. And so whatever incident happens is filtered through that belief system and then out of that belief system starts coming your feelings and your thoughts about they didn't have any right to do that. They shouldn't have I died, 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 yeah. And you know how it goes from there. So what happens then? You act. You act. So your actions come from your feelings and your thoughts. Your feelings and your thoughts come from that filter, which is the way you look at yourself and you look at life. And what you work on is your belief system. And every Christian you see is in recovery from sin. 
and from sinful attitudes, from self-centeredness, from arrogance, from pride, from all of those things that keep us from seeing ourselves in a right way and seeing others in a right way. And so you're counting to 10. What that does is it stops the reaction process. It causes you to stop and catch your breath and think before you say anything. And so, but whenever, if you'll go through the fruit of the spirit, if you'll go through first Corinthians 13, you will find your growing edge, even as you are dealing with your anger in the moment and hesitating before you respond. Do you see that? Okay. Now then, whenever that's happening, the next thing you do after you've paused and recited that scripture in your heart or counted to 10 is you ask yourself, how am I going to feel about what I am about to say or do three days from now? That's a good measure. That's a good measure. And then ask yourself, really, do I have the right to be angry? Or is my anger coming just because people aren't doing things or saying things the way I think they ought to be? Do I have the right to be angry? Lord spoke to Jonah after Jonah was sitting there sulking under the, uh, he was sitting there sulking because the, the bush was gone. You know, he, the vine, God had caused a vine to grow up and give Jonah some nice cool shade. Then God sent a worm to nibble at the end of the vine and the vine riveled and shriveled up and went away. And that made Jonah mad. He was mad already because God didn't rain fire and brimstone down on Nineveh, but then he was sulking about that, and then his shade gets taken away from him. And so the Lord says, what right do you have to be angry? It's a good question. And uh, Jonah's response is, I have every right to be angry. He says that to his creator and the creator of those people in Nineveh that he just spared. That's what anger does. It distorts the way you look at yourself and the way you look at God. But then the last thing, ask yourself, what would Jesus have me to do about this? Not what would Jesus do? You can never do what Jesus would do because Jesus was fully man and fully God. We don't have that deity part within our makeup, but he has made us where we can be followers of Christ. He has made us where we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And this is where it begins. Ask yourself, what would the Lord have me do in this situation right now? You may want to just pray in your heart, Lord, help me submit to your control. Because without it, I'm going to kill them. You know, uh, uh, Lord, I want your mind to direct my mind. Lord, I pray that you would reflect your attitudes in my actions and my words. Lord, guide me and guide my words to express genuine love for other people. You can be transformed and this is one of the greatest opportunities you have to be truly transformed. 
by the renewing of your mind is whenever it comes to anger and allowing the Lord to set you free. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.